Next time you receive a nasty, hateful email, text, or post on social media, give this a try. You know, we get the messages, we get the letters, we get the emails, the Facebook messages, the Twitter stuff, the Instagram stuff, Snapchat stuff, and whatever they invent in the new coming years to communicate. And how we must develop and cultivate the habit of laying these things before the Lord. As one commentator put it, Warren Wiersbe, he said, and I quote, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. When the outlook is bleak and difficult, look up. And I can say personally at times, I've spread things out before the Lord and he's answered and he's helped and you move forward. This is amazing grace. This is See if this sounds familiar. You receive an email that is full of threats and slander, or someone replies to your post on Facebook and it's really hurtful and untrue. Before you type out a reply and hit send, there's something you should do first. Pastor Ed Taylor will urge us to take it to the Lord and pray today on Abounding Grace. This very helpful study has its roots in 2 Kings 19, where King Hezekiah receives a threatening letter. Pick up with me now in verse 8. He says, So the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tirkoth, king of Ethiopia, Look, he's come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, verse 11, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezphah and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Who is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the king of the city of Sepharim and Hena and Iva? <laughs> it makes sense that the king, now that he's harassed by these other countries, is would send another threatening letter and another threatening message to Hezekiah. Because I found over the years that all the devil really has is words. That's all he really has to throw your way is words. Like he, he can inspire all kinds of weird activity in our lives just by simply lying to us, by trying to undermine what God has said by trying to throw upon you false identity. And, you know, sometimes the words of the devil come out of people because we know that happened with Peter. We know that happened with Peter in the very presence of Jesus because remember, Jesus turns to him and says what? Get behind me, Satan. Do you think Peter had, you know, a red face and horns? He was Peter. And he wasn't the devil, nor was he possessed by the devil. But he was speaking words that reflected the satanic, demonic origin of his words. That's where they came from. 
And so the devil, he just has words. As we have learned many times before, you know, whoever made up this, this saying, this childhood saying, we need to find, track him down. He's probably not with us anymore, but we should track him down because I want you to finish what I'm saying, okay? Because if you know this, you know the saying. I want you to join along, even if you guys are online or on the radio, just in your car, just join along, right? So we learned this growing up. Sticks and... This would break, but... What a lie. <laughs> Words actually hurt more than sticks and stones sometimes. Some of you are still reeling from words that were spoken to you when you were just a child that deeply wounded you. And unfortunately, you developed a habit of believing them. But they're not true. They're lies. Some things we have heard and been said to us that we would rather have a broken arm. Because at least you can go to the doctor, set it, a couple weeks, you get the cast off. But sometimes the words, they linger. And so what do you do with words? What do you do with a threatening letter? What do you do with all the gossip and slander? That's, what do you do with them? Well, let's look to Hezekiah here. So it says in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. He took it to the Lord. Now, isn't that the first mistake we make? Not taking it to the Lord. I, I am guilty of this more than I ever would want to be in a lifetime. Where I receive a text, I receive an email. You know, not, not so many uh, anonymous letters come through the office anymore because you can just open the letter, look at the end, there's no name on it, shred it. So instead, people make fake email addresses and they send letters that way. And so I'll get an email and I'll read it. And before you know it, I'm hitting that little arrow that goes doop to reply to it. Instead of just taking it before the Lord. I may or may not need to answer it. I don't know. I should ask God. Now, that's not just true for anonymous letters. <laughs> it's also true for letters and emails and text messages and, and phone messages and voicemail. All of them for people we know and don't know. We should take it before the Lord. Because you may or may not need to respond. Who knows what God wants you to do and why he would have that. You see, Hezekiah received this threatening letter, not unlike Nehemiah. As the enemies came against Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the wall, they came multiple times. Multiple threatening letters, even open letters. You know, what would be the equivalent of a blog today or posting it up on Facebook. Oh, everybody, I want you to know my life and how much I hate somebody. That's what they were doing in Nehemiah. And so he gets the letter and he lays it before the Lord. If you leave with one thing today, God is reminding you, lay that stuff before the Lord before you do anything. Because you probably won't end up doing anything but praying. But notice when he got the letter. After he received the word of God. God already told him it was going to happen. So when you receive that promise from God, and you're going to build your life upon it, you can expect that things are going to be ramped up to come against that promise. So, oh, the gods, why are you trusting God? And don't you know how many victories I've had? Which were really all true. The king of Assyria was very victorious, but he hadn't taken on the one true God yet. He was very victorious, so the facts were the facts. 
but they don't undermine the truth of God because what? He's going to hear a rumor already happened. That's what prompted the letter because he's being harassed by all these other countries. And he knows that he's going to need some help in order to take on Hezekiah. So what does he do? He sends him a letter. Mark verse 14 in your life. And just notice, he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. Maybe one day, maybe one day in our church, this church right here, you'll come to service early. You'll be here because you just happen to be able to get here early, 6.30, 6.45. And you'll see somebody right here on their knees over a piece of paper because they obeyed this. They brought it to the house of the Lord and they laid it before the Lord. And it's symbolic, of course. But imagine, just begin to pray as the enemy would want to send different letters and different things that we would learn to lay it before the Lord. I've never regretted laying some difficult situation before God and waiting for his direction. But I've always regretted each time I've taken things into my own hands and attempted to solve God's problems for him. Because, you know, if you received a threatening letter recently and you, you're a child of God, that problem and letter belongs to God. That's his problem. Because he bought you and me with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I have a problem, I can truly come to God and say, God, do you see this problem that's yours? How are you going to solve it? What are you going to do about it? Am I going to be a part of it, perhaps? Maybe I'm not. But God, this is your problem because my life belongs to you. And not only are you affirming your faith, but Hezekiah, he doesn't take things into his own. He's a king. Number one in charge. And those of you that have positions of authority, you know you have a tendency just to take care of things because that's what you do. But there are times when God wants you to take care of things exactly the opposite of the way you want to take care of them. That's what the beauty of being led by the Spirit is. So he comes and he lays it before the Lord. Number two, he, verse 15, what does it say? Then Hezekiah, say it out loud, prayed. Say it out loud. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. So he took it to the Lord and he prayed before the Lord. O God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kings of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. By the way, if you were here with us this weekend and we studied through Leviticus 16, we learned that the high priest once a year would take the blood of the bull and the goat, go into the Holy of Holies with his hands, spread that blood where? On the Ark of the Covenant, which was on top was a lid with the two cherubim, the two angels, cherubim, and it would be there. Remember, that was the one place that God proclaimed that he would meet his people. We all learned that, right? We all learned that this weekend. So now you understand as the Bible comes together, Hezekiah, as he's praying, says, verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. Where was that? On the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, where the, where the blood of the bull and the goat would come in once a year to cover the sins of the people every year, by which by the time we get to Hebrews, Jesus is what? The great high priest who offered himself a wanton for all sacrifice. Bible study is pretty fascinating stuff. And you never know how they're all going to tie together. You, you never know how it's all going to come together. Notice 
in verse 16. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly the Lord, the kings of Assyria, have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, have they have destroyed them. Verse 19. Now therefore... O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. As I mentioned earlier, I can't tell you how often I haven't done this. Too many times in my life that I haven't done what Hezekiah's, the king of Judah, has done here. How much stress and tension and worry would be removed from our lives if we would just take it to the Lord and pray. Just take it to the Lord and pray. You know, we get the messages, we get the letters, we get the emails, the Facebook messages, the Twitter stuff, the Instagram stuff, Snapchat stuff, and whatever they invent in the new coming years to communicate. And how we must develop and cultivate the habit of laying these things before the Lord. As one commentator put it, Warren Wiersbe, he said, and I quote, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. When the outlook is bleak and difficult, look up. And I can say personally at times, I've spread things out before the Lord and he's answered and he's helped and you move forward. And the king, notice, had one great burden on his heart and that was what? To glorify God. He laid this before, not necessarily because it was a big burden, but it was. And he laid it before, not necessarily because he didn't know what to do, because he didn't in many ways. But he laid it before God because he knew that God's glory was at stake. It was him. It was his name. It was his reputation. As you read through the heroes of the faith, they all had the same concern, the glory of God and his reputation. Hezekiah was more concerned for God's glory than even for Judah's safety. He saw deliverance as a chance for Israel to fulfill her purpose for which God raised her up. Wearsby said this again, let me quote. Some people rush into the Lord's presence whenever they face a problem, but God never hears their voices at any other time. This wasn't true of King Hezekiah. He was a man who at times sought the blessing of the Lord on the people, but he also sought to know the word of God and the will of God, And this gave him power in prayer. Blessed is that nation whose leaders know how to pray. And I would say blessed is that church whose leaders know how to pray. And blessed is that home whose leaders know how to pray. Blessed is that workplace whose leaders know how to pray. Because God is there in the midst. Well, Isaiah again answers in verse 20. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, that which you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. It's so wonderful to know that God hears us when we pray every single time. And here's the answer which the Lord has spoken. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? Verse 23. By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains. 
to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to all its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it, from ancient times that I formed it, how I have brought it to pass that you should be for the crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins? Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in. Your rage against me because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I'll put my hook in your nose and my bridle on your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. And so the first part of Isaiah's answer to Israel is a rebuke. And they're going to go into captivity. God used Assyria to chasten Israel, and yet at the end, Jerusalem will prevail. And isn't that true? Don't we learn that in life? The chastening hand of God. The Bible says it's not pleasant in the moment, but it brings about a reminder first of God's love and the correction that we need in our lives. Even you parents, as you discipline your children, as you bring discipline upon them, it's not punishment, it's training. You bring training upon your children because one day you know they're going to be adults just like you. And many of us, as we were training our kids, truly wanted them to avoid all the bad decisions that we made to embrace God at a much earlier age so that they could live for him and avoid all the consequences or many of the consequences that we chose not to. And so there was training involved, chastening. Notice next in verse 29, this shall be a sign to you. Now, the second thing Isaiah says is that you'll be fed. There's a rebuke, but there's also going to be food. He says, you shall eat this year such as grows of itself. And in the second year, which springs up from the same. And also the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And so he says, the Assyrians are going to take possession and destroy the land and their food source. But as the Assyrians come and destroy everything, he says, there's also going to be, it's going to regrow. And it speaks to us of a, that when there's a barrenness in our life, when there is a lack in our life, when we look to the left and to the right and we wonder what is going to happen, you know that God will restore what's been lost. He will restore. You'll eat once again. Now, finally, look at in verse uh, 31. It says, For out of Jerusalem, well, excuse me, verse 30, and the remnant of the escaped, the remnant who have escaped out of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant's sake. And so now the promise of deliverance. God's word is to deliver his remnant from the enemies and make them fruitful again. So notice what happens. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were all the corpses all dead. What a sight that must have been. But I'm encouraged to read these words 
and it came to pass on a certain night. Isn't that true? Have you not found that to be true in your life, that God can move instantly? It came to pass on a certain night. Those of you that are waiting on God, those of you that are interceding, those of you that are pressing in, those of you that can see many days and many weeks and many months behind you of seeming silence or no action from God, it came to pass on one night. God acts. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor's message is called Take It to the Lord. And you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org or listen through our apps. You'll find them by searching for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, today we learned how to respond to slander, gossip, or a threatening letter or email. I'm sure as a pastor, that's happened to you more times than you can count. I was wondering if you'd share a personal example of a time when you received something like this and you laid it before the Lord, and what happened as a result? You know, Larry, I could share so many personal examples, but I think it's best to take this question and just shift it a little bit, and let me tell you what not to do. Uh, When you receive that email of great criticism and hurt, when somebody posts something up on the internet, uh, you know, it used to be, Larry, in the day we'd receive these anonymous letters, literally letters in the mail with no signature, and, you know, you'd go right to the signature. If there wasn't one, you just shred it and don't read it. Now, you know, you've people make up email addresses, they go on blogs, and, and sometimes they don't mask themselves at all. They just want to be a critic, uh, and, uh, in, and instead of looking to help a brother and support a brother, they just want to be a critic. So you've got a lot of different ways to receive this kind of input, and let me tell you what not to do. Number one, uh, don't take it personal. And what I mean by that is maybe something they said is true. And God has used them in your, in your life to reveal something to you. So don't take it personal. Number two, don't become defensive. Because if it's true, then you need to hear it. And if it's not true, then what are you defensive about? Thirdly, uh, don't respond in the flesh. Uh, especially on social media, you know, get caught up. And, and uh, whether it's uh, just a normal run-of-the-mill troll or it's actually someone that, you know, I find that I've found over the years that people post things about me when they actually have my phone number and they could call me. Uh, they know where I pastor and they could drive to the church. They live right around the corner or down the street or in our neighborhood. And, and so when, I, when, when that happens, I just wait for them to do the biblical thing. Um, the biblical thing is not to blog about it. The biblical thing is not to talk about it. The biblical thing is not to post on social media. The biblical thing, according to Matthew 18, is to go to your brother and share your offense so you might win your brother. So these kind of things that are posted, just let it ride. And it could be that their post offended you, uh, and you just need to reach out to them and go, what are you doing? What, what, what? Let's talk this out. But I found over the years that people don't want to solve problems. They want you to remain their problem so that that becomes their identity. And that's just not from the Lord. So be careful there. You know, another thing not to do, and again, I I know it's a little different from your question, Larry, but another thing not to do is spend a lot of time dwelling on all the negativity. Um, So much so that um, I'm not even on Facebook anymore. And what I mean by that is I continue to post to Facebook because I want a, a biblical voice to go out. Uh, from from me, you know, what, whatever the, I'm reading, whatever Lord, but I don't read all the, the things anymore. Um, I don't read all the posts. Um, I just, 
um, people can be so negative and um, so difficult that I just want to point them to the Lord and hope that God would work with them. So you, some of you listening may need to get off social media. You may need to be stop reading those blogs and get back into the Word. Um, but there's a lot of things not to do. That's a few things, but be careful. Because again, it could be true. There could be some truth to it where God wants to grow you and make you a better man, a better woman. Um, but for the most part, like Ezekiah, you can take it to the Lord, let him give you direction, and he'll minister to your heart. Great question. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. We've picked out a wonderful book by A.W. Tozer this month that we think you'll benefit from. It's The Pursuit of God. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us, and it's something every believer can experience, not just a select few. In this book, Tozer uses examples from Scripture and from the lives of Christians who have lived with a thirst for God to show us the path to a closer walk with the Lord. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of The Pursuit of God. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make your request and donation online at calvaryaurora.org. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out to study the Word with us. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.